Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Play On Review, a special edition, uh, one that I've done for the past two years. It's of the non-finalists in the AFLM. We do this during the final series just to wrap up the seasons of 10 teams. So then when we come to the end of the season, it's a bit less to do. Um, I'm Gemma Bassiani, as always, and today I'm very happy to be joined by my brother and my pal and a disgruntled Melbourne supporter, Alexander. Hello. Hello. How you doing? Oh, not so glad to have disgruntled Melbourne supporter tagged on to my introduction. <laughs> I think if it wasn't obvious enough the last time I was on, then we probably I probably didn't go hard enough. <laughs> well, yeah, that's something we should touch on. You have been on this this podcast before, so I'm glad to have you returning. Um, I do love, as you know, I do love to chat to you about football. It's mostly the only thing we talk about, really. Oh, no, there's the occasional netball game, I guess. Well, yeah, we were, just before we started recording, we were talking about the netball. My team is currently winning in a final, but not by much, and it's a bit nerve-wracking, so... I'm doing that as well while we record. Um, so today what we're going to do is we're going to go through all 10 non-finalists in alphabetical order, not in ladder order, and just talk about a highlight of their season, a low light of their season, and then something that they need to focus on to improve next year or in the coming years because it's a longer-term project for some teams. Um, you ready to go? I guess. We are starting alphabetically first, but at the very bottom of the ladder with the Adelaide Crows who finished 18th. Um, what is your highlight for the Crows year? I think that is that pretty much <laughs> You weren't looking at me, so I couldn't tell if this was a joke or whether you were just ignoring me. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Look, I didn't watch much. I've got to be honest, it's been that kind of year. I don't watch as much football as I used to. I tend to pretty much watch Melbourne games and, you know, well, after you've watched a few Melbourne games, they put you off enough so you don't see it all. <laughs> Most of what I know of Adelaide was basically through what you told me and what everyone else crapped on about. But, um, I mean, at this point, I think probably the most positive thing is that their coach isn't going to get the sack after one season and that they have more first-round picks to replenish the list after their 
exodus, I guess, is the word everyone's been using. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm a bit more optimistic about Adelaide than you and a lot of other people are. Um, I think they're probably ahead of one other team in the competition right now in terms of where they're at, despite the 18th finish. I think the young talent that propped up the side in the back half of the season is a massive, massive plus for them. And we, we saw early in the season, yes, they had some issues, some real issues. It looked like at one point they weren't going to win a game for the season. But in the back half of the season, guys like Chase Jones, Elliot Himmelberg, Lockie Scholl, Fisher Mackesy, guys like that in their first or second year were really propping up the side. And, I mean, Shane McAdam, he's not young, he's 25, but it was his first year. Tyson Stengel, who's had his off-field issues but performed very well on the field. It's these guys that actually lifted them and got them those few wins. So I think that's a massive, massive plus, the idea of that group being able to grow together now off the back of this year. Well, definitely. I mean, if it looks like they've got some young talent that's doing well and coming through, they're they're only going to add to that now. So Mm. it's not, it's, you know, it could be a lot worse for Adelaide. I think I'd rather, if I was an Adelaide fan, I'd rather be where they're at now than where they were after that grand final and, you know, fucking pre-season, all of that. Well, even uh, this time last year. Sorry? Well, even this time last year. Yeah. Uh, when everyone was getting ready to leave and they were trying to figure out what to do. Well, the, when they didn't have a coach until the last possible moments as well. I think it's it, – for Adelaide, I think it's one of those things where it's probably a case of there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yet it's like it can't really get much worse. But then again, you know, I said that about Melbourne in 2011. and <laughs> A winless season could have been worse. And yeah, no, it was – that was one of the things I thought, at least at the end of the season, they were able to match North Melbourne's record, that they didn't actually go out and out, like, in terms – like, I think it was, it was just percentage in the end. And it could have been worse. They could have had only the one win or, not, or, you know, and North Melbourne looked bad enough as it was. So to not be able to end up matching their three wins would have probably been worse. Yeah. Um, um, okay. What was your low light for their season? Well, probably the fact that they only got three wins. Yeah. yeah. And they've got people who didn't leave the club in – someone like Mackay and uh, Walker, but then they didn't have very good seasons. So that's a bit of a bugger that the only two blokes who committed couldn't really, you know, kick in until the end of the season is a bit of a shame. And they got to, they still got to play in front of a crowd at home, I think, which was good. Yeah. It was yeah. probably a lot for them. But yeah, it wasn't, the whole season was more of a, you know, you're looking at teams in the top eight and you're trying to find the low lights and then you're looking at teams like this and you're trying to find the highlights. highlights. So it, it's a shame, but, you know, I've, I've been there before as a fan and it's not good, but you do, it's, it is times like this where you have to think there's nothing else to have but hope. Yeah, exactly. And the young guys gave them hope this year. Yeah, um, and a lot of the time, you know, that's a better position to be in than some of the other teams. Yeah, that that just no man, you know. Yeah, um, my low light for their season, 
the I think the thing that um, was probably the most heartbreaking thing for their season was um, Duday's persistent injuries. So he was came off that ACL. He came back, had some injury issues, came back. He actually captained the side at one point, and during that game, did I think it was his hamstring or his quad? He just has had such a tough time of it in terms of injury when he's doing absolutely everything else right and he's I mean he 21 I think and captaining the club and doing all these sorts of things if he can just get his body together he will be a long-term star of that club but he just needs that one last piece to come together for him so I think that for me was the biggest low light for them what do you think what, what's something specific you think they need to improve going into next year uh <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot i mean they they got another draft hand where i think i think they're going to end up with two top 10 picks based on a trade they had last year or something they have gws's yeah. first rounder yeah so i think they've got one and nine mm. yeah okay so they've got two top 10 picks now is the time for them to decide probably it's going to be like it's going to be a difficult period for them obviously trading first of all because there's probably still one or two other blokes that want out and they're in a position where it's not super enticing to try and get people to join. Yeah. So they, they need to go to the draft. It's going to be brutal. And if they go to the draft, <laughs> then they're basically, they know that we're going to get another couple of young guys, which means it just adds to the immaturity and inexperience on the list even though technically it adds a lot of promise and like future potential excitement in some regards. But if you're adding more youth and inexperience to a young and inexperienced coaching panel after some of their blokes were, you know, like a lot of teams were let go. And then the only older experienced guys you have to be around them in terms of playing group are guys who no disrespect intended, are not super renowned leaders and who well, didn't yeah. really show a lot of that this year either. So I, it's difficult. It's a hard place to do, be. Just be. Sorry to interrupt you, but just because you mentioned coaching panel, we do need to flag that they have actually brought in Scotty Burns, who's a really highly touted assistant coach. That's a really big get. He's it's a bloke a who get. I was actually really hoping Melbourne would snatch up. Yeah. He's been um, around the block a long time, I think, and he's probably a bloke who's poised, I would have thought, to be a head coach. Yeah, for but sure. it seems like he's still prepared to just add to his repertoire. And, you know, he's been in he's been in situations where I think he was at West Coast when they were playing finals, yeah. and then he was at Collingwood when they were playing finals. He's been at Hawthorne when they played finals for a bit. So he's been in big teams doing big things. And now he's going to the other end of the spectrum. And in a couple of years, he's absolutely going to be the number one guy, I think, who's yeah. in line for a head coach gig. Yeah. So my um, – what do they need to improve? I think the biggest thing for me in regards to Adelaide over the next three or four years even is just hold their line, like keep doing what they're doing because it's the second half of this year showed, yes, they this is an improvement. So they just need to hold – track with that and be persistent and be patient with it because these young guys that came through and gave promise at the back half of this year 
they're not going to have 22 amazing games next year. They're going to be inconsistent. They're going to have injuries and they're going to have issues, but they need to persist with the core group. And I think if they're able to do that and build on that, they'll be very well set up for the future. So I think for me, that's what they need to improve is just hold the line. I still think they need to... Like I said, it's going to be hard. I still think they're going to need to try and bring in a player oh, who's older, who can be a you know someone to lean on for the younger guys and someone to help contribute to the training and the practices that they have in place to try and improve that. Because, like I said, uh, I don't want to be talking too much shit, but Taylor Walker is not a guy that I'd rely on to do that. And there aren't a lot of those older guys left. So well, Rory Sloan is kind of the he, he, he's, he's a perfect guy, but to do it on his own, you know, is a lot of pressure. You're just adding all these young guys in the door, and all of a sudden, Rory Sloan's going to be like a primary school teacher, you know. <laughs> well, on that note, let's move on to the next team. We're going to try and keep this as snappy as possible. Um, the Carlton are the next ones alphabetically. They finished eleventh this season. Um, highlight from you. What was your highlight? Uh, they had a couple of really strong showings against teams that would go on to be top eight. And even if it's earlier in the season, I think you can still put that down as a pretty good performance then, uh, especially from where they're coming from. You know, yeah. you look at other teams who are in a similar position but couldn't get it done against top eight teams. Mm. And Carlton ended up doing it on a few occasions and even put up a really good fight against Port Adelaide, who are now the minor premiers and probably the premiership favourites. I hope so. That's a really good step for Carlton considering where they were they've been. Yeah. Um I still think that's it's just something to hang your hat on a bit as a Carlton fan to be like, okay, they are on the way. And not to mention that they did it without Kerno, who yeah. is the golden boy. And they also look like they're starting to get into to a position where the players they're going really hard for are actually interested in making the move. You know, yeah. they missed out on blokes like Dylan Shield and Tom Papley because they couldn't they wanted him and he wanted to go there, but they couldn't really get anything done and they didn't want to give anything up. And and now they're in a position where their first choice trade targets are actually gettable and are actually like interested. So yeah. that's not a huge step. It's going to be big from here on in. And um, Weedering, All-Australian. Yeah, he beat Stephen May for that, which is pretty big. All-Australian squad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, on that, my highlight for them as the Swifts start to get a bit of a lead, so I'm quite happy. I'm doing some little fist pumps here. Um, I think that Sam Walsh and Jacob Weedering's seasons are a massive highlight for Carlton. Both ex-number one draft picks. both have been a little bit maligned in the media in the past. It's, uh, you know, Sam Walsh being compared to what Matt Rowell did in his few games this year and saying Matt Rowell is what everyone promised us Sam Walsh was going to be and just denigrated him. And then Jacob Wiedering had a year or two where he was really looked down upon poorly um, without consideration to what was actually happening at Carlton and the role he was being asked to play. So <laughs> I'd think- still be tough to have him. Like- oh, Outstanding. And both of their seasons were incredible. Sam Walsh in the back half of the season in particular, he absolutely stood up. He kicked goals, but he was also really damaging through the middle. Jacob Wiedering held down that defensive line um, in, in in a 
part of the side that was a little bit um, inconsistent, I guess, in terms of personnel and in terms of performance, he didn't have a bad game. So I think those two players are absolutely the highlight of Carlton's year for mine. Um, low light from you? Uh, probably, probably losing to Adelaide to let Adelaide sort of get a run on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think that was your low light, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Round 17 against Adelaide. So after a respectable season, Carlton came up against Adelaide who was sitting in last place and they scored just one goal in the first half. And while they did come back and, and find and get much closer in the game. And it was a bit of a thriller towards the end conceding five goals in the first quarter is just not how you can start a game and expect to win. And I know, you know, it's dramatic. It's this, it's that, but no team wants to concede five goals in the first quarter. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Well, they did a similar thing against Melbourne and they only lost by a point in a game where really was up for grabs the entire time. And it was only that first quarter that lost it for them. So Mm. They're, yeah, they, they're still building a bit like that and um, that's an inconsistency they've got at the moment. Well, that leans into my what do they need to improve. I think that their ability to run out a four-quarter game and stay in a game for four quarters is the thing that is most desperate for them to improve. All too often this year we've seen them play just a half of good footy um, and then like falling over the line right at the end with a Jack Nunes goal, miracle goal or something like that or just coming one or two points behind if they play four quarters or three and a half quarters of really good footy, they win more games than they lose this year. Because when they're on, they're a very good side. And that seems such a cliche, but like Carlton, when they're on, they're a top eight side. They just don't know how to do it for four quarters. Well, they they were very close. They could have been there. You know, it's, um, it's, it was really interesting for me. Um, you know, between ninth and 12th, there really isn't a lot that separated those teams. It was only really a couple of days throughout the year where they couldn't get the job done that really ended up, you know, and we'll talk about obviously all of those teams as well before we finish. But, yeah, they're all in a position where they could have had it going and it was just two or three things that got them. Yeah. Um, for me, with Carlton, one of the things that worries me is that now that they're 11th, they're in a spot now where okay, you've proven that you're almost there. What's going to happen when the what do they need to improve isn't the list? Yeah. Every every AFL reporter and everything like, you know, every article surrounding Carlton and all the talk is going to be, oh, they still want to get Zach Williams and they want to get Papley and this and that. But after they get their targets or after they're in a spot where you can't just keep adding to your list – it's going to be a case of, well, they need to improve or change how they play. And that's a way more difficult conversation because it's not as fun as saying, let's get this guy, let's get that guy, let's trade him, whatever. And then the criticism starts getting pretty heavy on the coaches and the administration as to like, okay, you've been here before, you guys should know how to get past this. But this is, this is the roadblock that they hit a bunch of times before where they put together a really good team and then all of a sudden, okay, now they we start sack their coach and get a coach in that gets rid of all their good players. And then <laughs> we hit the roadblock where, okay, we're just, a, we're just a, which is, a, it sounds like a harsh way of saying it, but, but we're making up the numbers. We're getting yeah. into the finals just so someone else can go past us. Yeah. So 
this is a really frustrating time, I think, for Carlton fans because there's like, yes, we're starting to do well. We're getting up there. We're potentially finals. Um, but just like Melbourne and Richmond years ago beforehand, it's like, okay, now we're there and we think we have all the pieces. What What is going wrong? Yeah. So I worry about that in the next few years for Carlton as well. That's a good point. Let's actually, and it's a very good segue into our next team, uh, who are the Essendon Bombers. <laughs> Finished 13th. Um, but I, I also wanted to note that they had the third lowest percentage of any side on the on the mm-hmm. ladder. The only two with lower percentage than Essendon were North Melbourne and Adelaide. So I, but, and this isn't me trying to have a go at Essendon. This is just, I think, very representative of what their season was. Because I think them having finished 13th does not accurately represent just how uh, bad this season was for them. Um, And it was noted as well, just before you jump in, um, it was noted yesterday during um, St Kilda's finals win yesterday, we're recording the day after the first round of finals is done, um, that the only team since 2013 when we've had the 18-team competition, the only teams to not have won a final in that time now are Gold Coast, who have never made finals and who have only existed for that long, and Essendon, who haven't won a final since 2004. So I just think that's relevant to this conversation. But your highlight for Essendon. (laughs) Well, when was the last time Carlton won a final? 2009. No, oh. uh, no, there's been one after that. I remember 2009. Um, Do you know it's bad for Essendon when, when I can't even remember Carlton winning a final and yet Essendon still haven't won one for even longer than that? So, yeah, yeah. it's dire. I mean, look, Melbourne, Melbourne have only done it in one good season in that time. So they're not that far apart. There's other ways. It, it sort of a, is a stat that kind of sounds a lot worse than it has. But I guess, yeah, finals are a big barometer. And I guess as an Essendon fan or Essendon as a club, to have such successful past, it's just, a, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's smart to do. I think that's that, yeah. uh, What's your highlight for their season, though? Um, they still had some really impressive moments. Um. They've got a Jordan really just won best and fairest. Yeah. And look, he's he's not been there for very long. And he was just six games. And he was a yeah. So that's pretty huge. That's yeah. That's huger than Walpole or whatever his name is. Walpole? Walpole, yeah. That's kind of bigger than that, even winning BNF, you know. But to not be a midfielder as well, I think that's relevant to the BNF conversation because so well, often these awards go to midfielders. Um, Jordan Ridley playing as a defender, not only an intercept defender, but also was often matched up in a one-on-one. His ability to read the ball. So many points though. Sorry. In a team that conceded so many points. Yeah, but his ability to read the bad, ball. They couldn't really score, but they, they conceded so many points and to still give it like to a defender, it's like he had his work cut out for him all year. Yeah. yeah. Which means he must have really like he he must he was just consistently stood up in a team that was getting battered in the back half. Yeah. And twenty six games for a BNF is the third least so impressive. history, I think. Um but 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's just like not much. Well, it's sort of to give it to a 26 gamer is a bit of an indictment on the rest of the list. Well, unless I, I guess they look a bit more in terms of because it's players and coaches and stuff that vote for that, right? But note that Ridley also made the All-Australian squad. So it's not just within Essendon. It's like, oh, who can we give it to? Because everyone's bad. They actually, like, he... In no, terms no, he, of he was genuinely impressive, yeah. Yeah. And then again, yeah, I probably jumped the gun on that because it's also a case where I don't really understand how the rest of the votes panned out. It could be that there were other blokes who really had, you know, impressed within the club. It's just such a... That's a big deal, 26th game of getting it. But... Yeah. um I don't know. It does all. It does also sort of feel a bit like, oh, what's everyone else doing? That I don't, I don't know. It's I think hard. yeah. I think he is the clear highlight of their season with not much. Yeah, it's um, what it feels like. Um, with a low light, I've literally written everything. I think I when I was preparing my notes, I sent you a photo of my notebook where it said low light everything else. And we had that conversation then. Um, I think there truly isn't a lot to like about what Essendon did this year. Um, and I expect a lot of Essendon fans would agree with me. But let's move on from that. Yeah. Um, what do they need to improve, do you think? Do you have something specific um, that they need to improve on? I sort of don't. I'm not a big fan of the whole succession plans. And Is that just because yeah. it hasn't worked at Melbourne? Well, not necessarily. When you look at it, you go, it hasn't worked. Why hasn't it worked? Because you brought in a bloke who looked the goods for three years or for a short time, and you've brought in a bloke who has minimal experience, and you're expecting that in that short amount of time, he's going to be as good a candidate for the job as someone, like we said before, like a Scott Burns or yeah. a Robert Harvey or something like that. And you start to wonder, why wouldn't you just bring in one of the other guys to take over? You, you like, I just feel like for Ben Rutten, it's like he didn't even front the press conferences, which on one hand was a good thing because you're keeping that sort of chuffer aspect to the side and let him focus on what's important. But then you're not really giving a clear picture as to what's really going on to any of the people who are interested in Essendon. Yeah. And now Wusha is out when he's already admitted that he doesn't really want to move on just yet. And everything is heaped onto Ben Rutten's massive shoulders. So I, I just think they're in an awkward position and he's taking over and he was apparently in charge for most of the year when they were so up and down and copped a lot of flack they still haven't won a final, this, that, whatever. He's either going to get the boot in a couple of short years or he's going to be around and they're going to have to back him in long term like Collingwood did or Richmond did or Geelong of like just 10 years. You've got 10 years to make it happen. But I don't know. There's just – that's the only thing that I, I think about and probably because I, I've thought about it from like a perspective of the team that I'm interested in, but that's just one of the things that I worry that like if the club doesn't get back to a position where it's like we can get this big name guy or we can get these coaches to come in and do the whole thing, that's just a weird thing to do. You'd think for a team like that with what they've been through that they would need to get a big successful 
coach in with a little bit of a reputation for it. I think that's what they thought they were doing with Warsfold. Yeah, I think that's what, yeah. And I think that's it. And maybe they've just said, like, look, it's time to move on and we need fresh faces. And I think they, they, constantly, they constantly think they're three steps ahead of where they actually are. So it's I think fun, that's... But I think that's every club that is, like, <laughs> with a no, history like no, that. No, but I mean, like, getting Warsfold in and planning that succession plan told us they thought they were at a point where Rutten could take over and they would be kind of humming and growing, whereas yeah. that's clearly not the case. I think well, my my thing about where they need to improve is I think Essendon really need to let go of the past and stop being so beholden to the past and those names that were involved in a successful era at the club. Um, they've just brought Kevin Sheedy back onto the board as an advisory member of the board to help them um, and they're still expecting that Joe Danaher is going to be their saviour. And it's just this constant idea. And when they announce Kevin Sheedy back, all their fans are saying, now bring James Hurd back and we'll be fine. Oh, my it's God. This whole idea that the these guy... people from the past are going to help you when in reality you just have to let go of that and move on. No, that is what's holding to... us in the back right now. They need to change the identity of the club. Correct. Yeah, right. and I agree with you. They need to abandon those old school heroes and find new ones. Correct. If that means his arrogance and his 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 Essendon uh, that heroism that everyone holds him up to the pedestal of the James Hurd at Essendon, the number five. That was part of the reason why he risked everyone's he integrity and yeah. reputation to try and be successful there and that was poisonous mm -hmm. so they need yeah. to move on from that they need to focus on retaining the players they've got that have an ability to bring back the passion through the fans and everything blokes like McGrath and things like that merit absolutely they need to hang on to that they need to grow that they need to find new guys that will do that they need to like Essendon probably they're one of the teams that should probably say even though we're in the middle of the ladder I don't want to find top up players I want to try and find a way to get young blokes in the door and yes, but Alexander into, who, hey? do we think, who who's in charge of that at Essendon well, that's part of the problem, I think. Correct. They've yes. got a guy who is so hard-nosed at the negotiation table that he's prepared to miss out on opportunities because he thinks that he just doesn't want – they just act like – I'm not going to go there. They're just too – They act like they're above the rest of the competition when in reality they are the most middling club the competition's ever seen. Well, it's, it's like the kind of guy that goes to pick up a second-hand car that's not open for negotiation and he, th he still thinks he can, like, wipe thousands of dollars off the price. It's like, come on, mate. Like, be reasonable. Look at what you're dealing with. Look at what you're getting and look at what you actually need. Yeah. Sometimes you just get what you need. And then there are other teams that go out there and go through the bargain bin and buy all the crap that they know they don't need, but it's a good price, so we'll take it anyway. And that's not the right way to do it either. Yeah. You need to pick a few targets that you know would be the right thing for the club. And, and you, you need, need to be willing to, to give something right. up for it. Yes, correct. Exactly. You know, exactly. Other teams have copped a lot of flack for giving up too much or whatever. But look at, at the end trying of the day, something. you need to bite the bullet and try and get what you think you need and what is going to be the right thing for the club. And he doesn't look like he's prepared to do that in any way, mm -hmm. shape or form. 
Yeah. Letting go of Joe Danaher probably would have been a good thing. Yeah, considering it's been a good thing. If they how... had been able to get Tom Papley and something else for Joe Danaher, even though maybe Tom Papley's not the right thing. I don't know. It's just there's an unwillingness there to look beyond being ripped off. What's well, holding it, on to the past still as well, I think. Well, yeah. It's like holding it, on to old your, school ideas when that's not how things operate now. Well, yeah. It's like it, is your whole job to try and make sure you're getting value and are you understanding where the actual value lies? Mm. Yeah. Um, I just think that's probably part of the problem. They're not yeah. very well liked when it comes time to do that sort of negotiation that part of the year and they're in a position where in the middle of the ladder if they are going to stick around the middle of the ladder they're never going to get massive trade value and they just have to be prepared to go in with good relationships with other clubs and try and make something happen or improve the development programs that they have at the club that's going to be number one like i said if you want to try and change part of that and step away from the old heroes you've got to grow new ones and if your development processes aren't particularly good you're kind of stuck resorting to the old the old Constant way cycle yeah okay we we've chatted about SNN enough I apologize to some SNN fans um but it's the reality you got to be hard sometimes let's talk about Fremantle who finished just above Essendon in 12th position um what was there another club that had a new coach this year as well that's worth noting did you have a highlight for Fremantle um, well, my highlight, I think, was probably going to be that their second draft pick ended, hey, up, yeah, ended up having, like, a really good year and He's a jet. one rising star. Absolute I jet. I'm a Freo guy's had it for quite a while. So that's... Well, Hazelby was the last one 20 years ago. Jesus. So that's... I think that's a really good thing. And it's indicative of the players they're drafting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's not the only guy, he's not the only young guy in that team that looks the goods, you know. Yeah. There's quite a few younger guys that are looking really impressive and getting to the point where they're one of the more exciting uh, teams. And, and for people who are still, like, obviously, like, massive Nat 5 fans, that's good for him too. Yeah. You know, that's they're, they're looking good. And I think Frio, they're – I mean – not not a highlight in terms of one point throughout the year, but actually, like, they're a team that you brought in a new coach and he actually looks like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> he's got that Paul Ruse mentality to a degree of keep it simple. Mm. Strip everything back. You're dealing with people who have played less than 50 games. They're like 20, 20 to 25, most of them. It's like keep it simple. How can we simplify? The first thing you have to do is learn how to defend. And once you learn how to defend, you know how to stop the team from getting back at you. Well, Justin Longmuir particularly reshaped Collingwood's forward line as an assistant coach before moving to Fremantle. So as a defensive coach, he's very strong. And then you look at the fact that they did that without Alex Pearson and um, Joel Hamling, as well as Griffin Logue missing a lot of the season. So Luke Ryan's ascendancy was huge the, him moving into all australian the all australian team this year i think is um is a reflection on justin longmuir's ability to coach particularly a defensive line that yeah and that's massively important is yeah. learning how to stop the opposition from just piling on goals 
Um, and to do it with a young team is pretty good too. I mean, yeah. I would be excited. I'd be excited to be a Fremantle fan, you know. It's looking yeah. pretty good right now. And um, it looks more like they're in turn, they're on track for a, a rise rather than like, you know, that plateau around the middle of the ladder where they get caught in this space like Essendon look like they've kind of been stuck in. Yeah. Um, my my highlight, kind of reflective of yours, I think the fact that they had emerging contributors across the board, which is similar to the Adelaide point, Fremantle has kind of been a club unwilling, I, I guess Ross Lyon as a coach has been unwilling to really blood a lot of young talent on a consistent basis. There's like a one player that might shine through that'll get a debut early in a season or something like that. But generally Ross Lyon didn't like to debut young players or give them a lot of responsibility. I think Justin Longmuir has done the opposite of that. And we saw the impact that uh, Brayshaw and Chera could have when they were given responsibility in the midfield with Nat Fife playing in different positions. And um, Caleb Sarong, who you mentioned, his improvement as well, or his performance in his first year, isn't just because he's a really talented young guy. It's because he's been given responsibility by his coach and the confidence that he can do that job. And I think that's something Justin Longmuir is giving his team in droves and it's only going to help this young side improve. Yeah, um, other guys like Hayden Young and Liam Henry who will get there as well and in yeah, a similar position. Michael Frederick. The ability to try and grow a group of players with that much talent and yeah. if you can retain them all, there's five or six guys in a, in a young age bracket that that's, that's one of the more exciting aspects moving yeah. on from that point. Sorry, I just fist bumped. The Swifts are now nine goals up in the third quarter, which makes me very happy. Um, the low light, do you have a low light for them? They started, they they looked like they were building quite well, mm. but then it sort of, it did end up petering out a little bit at the end of the year, which was a shame. But, um, I mean, one of the things that I think could be considered a low light is... Um, Jesse Hogan going there, sort of being in and out. It's it's not necessarily a low light for the club as a whole, but it is a shame that because of that, people are automatically piling on this whole they don't want him thing. And it's like people are trying to decide what Frio's mentality is before they've been given an opportunity to, you know, uh, flesh out that situation. Jesse Hogan's an interesting guy with quite a weird past, and I wouldn't be expecting him to just all of a sudden be like the number one guy at the club, or like you know, he's a guy who you do have to rein him in a bit, and you do have to try and keep him on track. And he's not a Harley Bennell, but he's also he's not a Matthew Pavlich. You know, he's not super professional where his mind is all about football and growing the team. I wouldn't consider him to be a guy that has a leader's mentality, but he is hugely talented. So I think he, he flourishes when he's not the number one forward. I think he flourishes when he can push up the ground a bit, knowing that someone else is home. So I think when he did come into the side, he tried his ass off. Like that final round – his effort was above and beyond anyone else on the field. He's, he's not He's not a guy who sits in the forward and does that all day. He's no. a guy who tries to get all around the ground. He wants to be in the thick of it. 
And he's really good at that. He's not going to be the player everyone actually thinks. He's just going to sit up forward and John O'Brown it. It's not the way he's going to play, which yeah. means he does need direction. And part of the problem, I think, with his sort of up and down year is that if he doesn't play, people have a go at him because he's not playing. And if he plays, people have a go at him because they say, oh, his body language isn't good enough and this and that. Well, you need to you need to shut the hell up and give the guy a chance to literally just play the game. He's going to be a guy that does best if he can be just a support character. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly that. right. And yeah. I think he'll be able to do that, but especially with what happened after the season ended, it's just there's going to be so much crap going on around Jesse Hogan and all the talk and this and that that I don't want him to waste an opportunity there and I don't want them to miss out on what could be one of the best players they could have and who still again could fit in with that group of Cheras and Brayshaws and Sarongs and stuff in a young group that yeah. can go together. He um, just needs to get his body and his mind right. That's his yeah. thing. And and I think that it's becoming it's become evident at the end of the season why Frio haven't just let him play every week. Yeah. They do need to they need to discipline him and rein him in a little bit and get his attitude in the way that they want. So I think in some ways it was a worse part of their year, but it was also a way for they were vindicated in the decisions they made surrounding him. And I think people should back off and let them manage the players because yeah. part of the Cam McCarthy leaving and that other guy leaving, people it doesn't take very much for AFL media and surrounding media to pile on and accuse the club of mismanaging. Yeah. So that in some way vindicated them, but it isn't a great sign. So. Um, my low light for them kind of um, backs onto yours is the the way their season ended. They had such a, a solid season of growth and there were so many great signs. And then for them to play in round 18 the way that they did, I think that was a bit disappointing. It's not the end of the world, but um, I think for me that was their low light. Um, what do they need to improve? What is one thing you think they need to improve on yeah, of a myriad, obviously? Um. Their midfielders are kicking a lot of goals, which is a good thing. It's a very valuable, uh, like Collingwood, part of the reason you can't keep them down is because their midfield just kicks goals. So if their forward line isn't functioning, they they still score. But they can't rely on Tabiner and they can't rely on Michael Walters or they can't, you know, their forward line is not the most exciting part of their team. So... Um, you could you could maybe make a case that they still need to find that guy that's going to come in. Like Rory Lobb came in and he wasn't like, you know, as big as we expected. Cam McCarthy went across and he didn't really make it happen and now he's gone. Jesse Hogan's gone across. He hasn't made it happen yet. Um, I suppose part of it's maybe just because for someone on the outside, when you have a bloke like Matthew Pavlich who's there for so long, you think that they're going to be able to make it happen with someone else and it just hasn't yet. Mm. Um, they might be asking a bit much, to be honest, because he's not like not every guy is going to be able to play like that. That's a special kind of footballer. That's a, that's a professional and a committed person. So maybe a little bit of that, but they're still in a position where they're going to go in with they, – they've been smart with the way they've traded. I think Peter Bell was – he was hard-nosed but also prepared, as we said again with Dodoro. Uh, Bell's kind of 
what you what you want a bit more of. He's hard nosed, but he is also prepared to make the deal and be reasonable when he understands that this is actually what we want. So let's have to just make it happen. That's a good thing, I think. So um, I think if they just like you said with um, with Carlton, I think if they stay the course because of where it looks like they're going, that they should just be fine. And I think that there's a bit of that to go really. Yeah. I can't really say much about them because they've got a lot of stuff right. And if they yeah. continue to grow the way they have, they're just on a good trajectory, it seems like. I can't really tell them what they should be, or I don't really know. I don't really know what they should be improving. They look like they are improving, if you ask me. So I think I think finding um a more reliable um forward spread so we saw Tabernar was the he kicked a goal in all but one game this year um his improvement we saw Nat Fife go forward and have an impact we saw Lockie Schultz become the forward pressure player that they've always been looking for and Croden is going along those lines I think if they can find a better spread of guys that can hit the scoreboard consistently, so it's not just up to one guy, I think that is the biggest thing that they can improve. And then obviously on the other side of it is, you know, getting Alex Pierce and Joel Hamling on the park consistently for a full year, that will make a big difference to them as well. But let's move on to the Gold Coast Suns who finished 14th. Uh, throw your highlight at me. Um, well, they're young guns, you know. Yeah. It's not that hard to use that as a highlight, I guess, when half of their team are top 10 draft pick young guns. Yeah. But, you know, they really did. They really did. They're the young top 10 draft picks uh, looking the goods. Yeah. And I've it's got, yeah. They look, they've got a couple of very young professionals. Um, and there's a lot to look forward to in that aspect of it um also um stewie jew seemed like he was keeping everything a bit low key but still finding ways for them to improve and do reasonably well yeah mine was took miller because um i think Gold Coast is often maligned and yeah we get to talk about their young talent now and all that sort of stuff but so many people refuse to give credit to the guys that have been there and stuck it out and put in really consistent effort. And Took Miller is someone who's been there for a really long time. He's dedicated himself to the club. And even in games where they have no hope of winning in the final minutes, he is still throwing his body into everything. He's still getting three, four efforts in a, in a passage of play. And he sets the standard for effort at that team. I think he showed that this year and he came sec in their best and fairest or won it second I can't remember <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so I think Took Miller for me was a really big highlight of the Suns year low light for you um, they they really looked good at the start and then just kind of petered out a bit but I guess that's fair enough. You can kind of expect that when they're a team that's perpetually inexperienced. So my yeah. low light is Matt Ralph's shoulder. So and and I think his shoulder injury is emblematic of a bigger 
issue at that club that has been around since the very start, which is in the midfield, even though they have a lot of guys who are pretty good, there's still too much reliance on one guy to do it really well for everyone else to shine. And as soon as Matt Rowell went down with that shoulder, which was like freakishly exactly six years to the day or something after Gary Um, Ablett did his shoulder and their season went to shit, that I think was like an eerie reflection of the issues that they're having. But I think at the moment they have the guys that can grow and fix that problem. So Noah Anderson just needs to fix his disposal and, you know, um, things like that. David Swallow playing a consistent season, stuff like that. Lockie Weller. They have the guys there now that they didn't have seven years ago to fix that problem. They just need to actually act on it now. Um, And then what about what do they need to improve from you? I kind of said that, said mine just then. I think the, the thing they need to improve is consistent, performances from all their mids rather than relying on one to do the main job and the rest of them can fall off the back of that. Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. It's just one of those things where how many chances are they going to have to go to the draft and snatch up all this amazing talent? I think they have the list now that they can grow. Has had enough of them going and saying, no, we really need more priority picks and we need this and we need that. Surely the AFL's had enough. But I don't think the Gold Coast Suns want to do that anymore. I don't think that's what What happens if in six years half of these guys that they've taken in the last three years, half of these 12 top 15 picks or whatever it is, don't either don't stick around or like Peter Wright, don't become amazing leaders, and then the club turns around and says, "Oh, we don't want you then." But this is all you speculation, know, is I guess. Like, it's not necessarily what they need to improve, but as a fan that is really getting sick of Gold Coast just taking all of these guys out of the draft and complaining about it, still, surely they need to get their shit together and actually find a way to make that team be able to lead amongst themselves to a degree and be impressive because otherwise they're not going to retain all these guys and then they're still going to complain about it in a couple of years and they're still going to be asking for or saying, poor me, we want this, we want that. And but I, I, don't, I, don't do that. I don't think we can be looking at Gold Coast like that anymore. Like there's a very clear line in the sand with the change of culture that's happened at that club, the t- the way they're choosing to draft those high-end talent. So finding guys that might be from out of state but are mates, so they want to stick around together. They've actually signed a few of these guys already long-term as well. So there's a very clear cultural change and they can very clearly build on this now. So I don't well, think you can be like, oh, Gold Coast is still saying poor us. That's not been the case at all this year. It's well, very clearly different. Yeah. They're they trying. Have. They're trying to change it, and I they're making they have. like it's going in that direction. But yeah, less than twelve months ago, they were they were crying poor me, and they were convincing the AFL to give them more priority picks, which was more than they deserved or needed. So I'm not expecting that they're going to still be doing that. But if they don't find a way for that core group of players to become 
like what Geelong had or something like that, where you can rely on these guys to be able to lead a team amongst themselves, like six or seven reliable older heads who've matured, are professional, and can take some of the brunt off the coaches being like that we have to daddy everybody, then they're going to be in the same position. I I Personally, I think they've got... I don't want to see that, but if they don't get it right this time... Where are they going to end up going? I think they have got it right. I think they just need to grow with this group personally. Well, I think it's too soon to tell. So I'll well, be I'll let's be looking talk forward this to time that. next year. Sound good? Yeah, well, we yeah. will anyway. We'll be talking the whole time. But I just it's too soon to for me to turn around and be like, yeah, they got it right. I'm, uh, I'm still waiting to see. Shall we move on to the GWS Giants? Yeah. Uh, so they finished in 10th place this year. Um, a fairly disappointing season from them. Uh, what's a highlight from you? Um, I mean, not much. Not much. I don't follow them very closely. I think they they started the year really well. I would have been happy with a 32-point win against Joel. That's a really good way to get out of the blocks. But yeah, it was all stopped. It was all average from there. Yeah. Um, mine is Nick Haynes. I, I think he was very much deservingly named in the All-Australian team. He was very well held by two teams, and that was St Kilda. Josh Battle kept him to no intercept marks. And the Swans, where Will Haywood played a defensive forward role on him and kept him to, I think it was two marks for the game. So I think he was, he very much stood up when there were injuries in their back half, when they were getting a lot of ball across into defence because of their poor um, defence upfield and things like that. So I think Nick Haynes is the absolute standout for them. What about a low light? Uh, my low light, probably signing your captain to a seven-year deal worth, I think, there were reportedly over a million dollars a season. And then him having an average year when the whole team's been average, you drop him for the second last game against a beatable opposition who you're fighting for a spot in the eight, you lose by four points. Then you bring him back for the last game against another team that's already made it to the eight and you get smashed. I don't know that dropping him had the desired result. I don't think it was a good look. I don't really know that it's sending a particularly good message. And I don't think – and it just didn't work. It just didn't work. So yeah, why why not leave him out for the last game of the year as well? Yeah. If you really thought it was going to work, why why did you leave him out for – I don't know. Just seems silly. And then Leon Cameron signs another long-term deal, which that is the weirder part, I think. Well, it could be, uh, you know. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't think he's a bad choice. And I don't know that there's anyone out there necessarily that is going to be an amazing choice instead. I think he's been there long enough where if you want to retain some of the players, you want to provide consistency. You know that Cameron was good enough to get the team in a winning position for many years. And you probably I think it's probably worth it. You know, I've seen I've seen other people stick around for longer. So yeah, that's true. For me, the low light was the fact that they were in a grand final last year. Now they're they're out of the eight. Like that's yeah, a pretty well, dramatic fall. That's probably the most obvious thing, yeah. But that's not great. Um, recent memory tells us that two other teams have gone from a uh, three other teams, sorry, have gone from a grand final one year to out of the eight the following year. Two of those teams at least won a flag. So Hawthorne in 08 and the Dogs in uh, 2016. The following year didn't make finals, but the more recent one was Adelaide who lost that 2017 grand final and haven't returned to finals since. Um, there were other issues there, I think. <laughs> yeah, but that's something that's that's the comparison that is being made with this GWS side now. Um, so I think that is something they really need to come out of the blocks early next year and really focus on rectifying. Um, in terms of their improvement, I think their two-way running through the middle of the ground is the biggest blight on their game. Their lack of defense through the middle of the ground puts their defense under so much pressure and just allows opposition to score too quickly against them. And then all of a sudden the game is way too out of reach. Um, and then the fact that their tall forwards just didn't, give them the output that they needed this year. So I think those are the two areas of the ground strategically they need to fix. Um, how about you? Um, yeah, that's obviously part of it. Um, what happened to the orange tsunami? But exactly, they run one way strongly, exactly. but defensively they just don't. It's just, yeah, it used to be one massive wave and now it's just like, a you know, it's a, they're lapping at the shore. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about the Hawks, who I know you love to talk about. Um, they finished 15th this year. Uh, do you have a highlight for me? No. You don't have a highlight for Hawthorne? No. No? I I do. I have Will Day. Um, I think in a team that doesn't seem to have much exciting youth, um, and we will get to that, Will Day I think provided some real flair and excitement for Hawks fans to get excited about. Um, he rightly took home the club's best first-year player award, and I think the Hawks really need to hold on to this kid. Um, that's a really big thing. Um, what about a low light from you? Uh, no. You don't have a low light for them either? <laughs> no. Uh, my low light for the Hawks, I think, was the delusion that they had a group that could impact finals. Um, I think they thought they had a team that they could take into finals and, and impact finals, which clearly wasn't the case. Um, before Geelong beat their record in round 18 and then 
the first week of finals, Hawthorne held the record for the oldest side ever fielded in a V or AFL team uh, game. Um, and it was a team from, I think, round two or three. So this is the thing. The desire to top up instead of blood youth has put them really behind the eight ball in terms of development. And that, I think, really came to the fore this year. I think it's been threatening to show um, a lot more in the past couple of years, but then this year it really reared its head. What do you think they need to improve on? Uh, they need to make a decision on Clarko. Do you think he should stick around or do you think they should find someone new? I think he should finish his contract and then they should find someone else. Do you think they should be looking at some sort of... I know you said before that you don't think succession plans are a thing that should be done, but do no, you think they should on. be looking at getting someone in under him now in preparation for that? No, because he's only got... I think I think he's only got one year to go. So you don't think they should find someone to sit under him over the no, next year? No, not one year. It no? wouldn't be worth it. They've already okay. had people there. Hawthorne have been the coach factory Yeah, for and years. they've all gone, right? And they've all gone. So if they were going to do a succession plan, they've missed out. They've missed their chance. Unless, no, it's too late because even Cameron Bruce has gone to cut. It's too late for them to do a succession plan. Yeah. And that's why I think it. That's why the Scott Burns move is even is even weirder for me because I would have thought that Hawthorne would have said to him, "When Clark goes done, you're going to be the best candidate, surely." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just seems weird. Like I think I don't. I don't think Clarko should stick around for that much longer. Yeah. I mean, does does first of all, does he really want to be part of a potential rebuild? And do they? And do they want him, who's already done it years and years ago, to be part of that? Or is it? Are they all just going to recognise that it's time to move on? I think he hasn't adapted well to the modern way of rebuilding so when and and he's made some comments this year that indicate that as well um but he when he walked into that club they had a number of high draft picks to draft buddy franklin jared roughhead jordan lewis you know and luke hodge was there and and they had all this stuff happen really quickly the reality is it's not going to happen now you need to look at different ways to do that i don't think he's willing to do that and i think that's the issue uh, yeah, I, ju- I just think it's time for him to move on. He's been yeah. there for over 12 years. Yeah. We've had a lot of success there. I don't think that, I don't think that he's going to win more premierships with Hawthorne unless he's prepared to stick around for another six years. Yeah. In which case, why? I don't think anyone's prepared for him to stick around for that long. Yeah, I and think I you're think, right. I don't think he's leaving on a bad note at all. He's brought a lot of success to that club and they've provided a lot of success for him. So I think when his contract is up, just move on and they should be spending the next year searching really thoroughly for a good candidate. And I don't think, I mean, yeah, like I said, I think it's too late for a succession plan. They just need to find a bloke who's ready to take over. Um, And I don't know. I mean, Cameron Bruce left, Scotty Burns left. They're not going to get Ross Lyon or any shit like that. I mean, I don't know who it would be unless they go for someone like Michael Voss or... Well, yeah, it's got to be someone willing to do the hard work. Someone who's ready. Hawthorne, Hawthorne, I think, to go after a young candidate without a lot of experience wouldn't make a lot of sense, maybe. 
Michael Voss could be a good option, though. I think, yeah, I think they would be going for someone who looks like they've been around the block and they've learnt a lot and they're in a good position, like a Michael Voss or maybe a Robert Harvey. Or I mean, I don't know anything about what those guys are ready or what they want to do. Mm. Just names that they've been in coaching panels for a long time and they've they look like they've put the part of the department under their responsibility into a good position. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I, I think it's time I, to move on. I think off the off the back of that as well, their their willingness or their patience and their willingness to go to the draft and not only get top end talent, but also be willing to persist with the development of later picks. I think that is the thing that Hawthorne need to look at next year and, and this year for the draft. Um, okay. Let's now talk about Melbourne. They finished ninth, um, disappointingly. What is your highlight? As a big Melbourne fan, what is your highlight? Um, I don't know about particular moments or whatever, but I think two rising star nominations and probably what should have been three almost. Yes, it should have um, been three. Not- I agree. I feel like if Cozzy got one, Joe, uh, Trent Rivers absolutely deserved one. I mean, and I'm not saying one of the other guys at the other clubs didn't, but if Trent Rivers had played as many games as Cozzy, which I personally think he bloody well should have, yeah. then he absolutely would have been a, a nominee. So I think that's a really good sign. You picked up three guys in a draft and they all looked the goods so far. Is yeah. a, a good thing. I'm really happy with that. There are a lot of things that are like not necessarily going right, but that's one that is looking good. Yeah, my my highlight for Melbourne was their round 12 win over the Collingwood. Um, this was the first time I think Melbourne really put together a four-quarter performance against a side that was considered good um, or yeah, it wasn't really. Uh, it wasn't much of a full-strength Collingwood side, though, and they didn't yeah. look good at all that night, so... Um, but the, their seven-goal second quarter really set them up beautifully for a 56-point uh, win. And the fact that they had 10 individual goal kickers in this, I think, is the biggest sign. Um, it, it's not something you see at the Ds very often. Spargo kicked three, Fritch, Langdon, Melksham, and Wiedemann all kicked two each. So I think that was a really positive thing for Melbourne this year. Um, and just an update for anyone that cares, my team's about to be knocked out of the netball final, so I'm going to turn that off with 20 seconds left. Are you joking? They were nine goals up before. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. Good at disappointing me, they are. Uh, low light. What's oh, well, a low light for you? You're a Melbourne fan. Yes, sorry. They won the, they won the championship last year, so I can't complain too much. Uh-huh. What's your low light for Melbourne? And I know you probably have a few of these. Uh, I would have said the inconsistency and whatever, but we're used to that. So it's not really the low light. I think the low light is more in terms of, I think they they showed right from the get-go that they were getting ahead of themselves, which is never a good sign. Yeah. Uh, even though one of my highlights, I guess you would consider that, yes, they played finals, then they dropped to 17th. We were able to get back to nine, which is, it's not the bounce back we were hoping for, but maybe we were all being a bit 
uh, maybe it was wishful thinking that they would be able to bounce back that much. To go from 17th to 9th is still a bloody good sign. Um, so hopefully they would they would build on that next year. But the low light, I mean, to launch a preseason doco thing, which I actually enjoyed, I thought it was good to watch. You do get an insight, but it's like to hell and back. Well, you're not back yet. Yeah. So why wouldn't you release the doco at this preseason? You've been to hell or whatever it is. Apparently 17th is hell. And now you're back. Well, you, you announced that you were back before you were back, which was just asinine. Yeah. Well, why would you why would you be so silly as to make that announcement? They were talking themselves up. Now, Ma, uh, Josh Marnie admitted that they didn't really conduct a proper review of the football department after they shit the bed last year because they thought that they knew exactly what the problem was. We sent all our players in for surgery at the same time, which meant we didn't we only had 23 blokes complete 20 plus sessions in the in the preseason, and that's why we weren't very good. Well, you got you had what was it over thirty guys complete thirty plus sessions in this preseason with the health and fitness guru of world sport, as they like to basically talk him up. And then you still had so many games where you died in the ass in the last quarter or in one quarter. So you're now apparently one of the fittest teams. And you're talking about that, and and they were boasting about the depth on their list, but then you failed in late situations a number of times. You still were doing all this running, but not where you needed to go. Like Sydney and Frio ran rings around Melbourne, despite how fit they are. And then for all the depth they boasted in the earlier part of the season, they made what was it over? over 19 changes in, I think, four rounds or three rounds, mm. which is like five per game almost. Yeah. So uh, mm, low light, I think, for me was the match committee. Yes. Yes. Um, mine is same old Melbourne. Their lack of intelligence from the coach's box right down to the field, I think, continues to let them down. They have a handful of players that are really smart on the field and some youth coming through that's really showing signs like that. So, you know, Trent Rivers coming out of defence, I rate him so highly. Um, but I think the bulk of them just continue to make poor decisions that lets them down. And, again, that's from match committee right down to where you choose to dispose of the ball or what you choose to do with the ball on the field. And I think that is the thing. That's the insidious thing that Melbourne needs to fix. Yeah. Um, what What do you think is one improvement they need to make, one very clear improvement they need to make? One of the things I was extremely disappointed in with the end of last year was that we didn't land Jared Roughhead. Yeah. That really pissed me off that a guy we, – we've gone after – well, we're not gone after necessarily, but Melbourne's coaching panel is made up of blokes who are freshly out of the game – and don't have a lot of coaching experience, presumably because at the time we were one of the bargain hunters. Yeah. So for Jared Roughhead to make himself available and and to nominate before really that signing period had begun, for him to announce basically when I'm done with playing football, I still think I would want to be involved in a football department. This For Melbourne to not be able to get him after his best friend was just at the club and everything like that, 
You know, we asked Jordan Lewis to stick around as a skills coach, but one of the skills we're lacking in majorly is kicking goals and we don't find a way to get Jared Roughhead to the club. That annoyed me. And then we signed Alan Richardson, who I really like, but as a coach, he's not really an exciting prospect. And then, you know, Pert comes in and is good at schmoozing and, and everything like that, but he he's not the acquisition that we needed. They were boasting about the new CEO and they were boasting about Jaguar and we got Furphy on board. And I understand that for Melbourne with the financial position, sponsors are huge. Mm. The acquisitions we really needed to make, I think were in the coaching box. Yeah. And they failed. I think they failed to do that, which was a shame. Um, I, I would be expecting, well, maybe not expecting, but I would be hoping that that is where they try to focus their efforts rather than going to the draft or anything like that, we need to focus on providing some more support for the coaching group we have yeah. and hopefully support that has a good bit of outside knowledge to be able to bring in and some some good experience, I think. Yeah, and I think some external external views would help change the perspective on a few things in particular as well, um, not just going with the same old. I think for me... What they need to improve is being willing to make team selections, not based on one individual's ability to play, but on how they play in the context of a team. And I think that's been such a huge issue for Melbourne is, yes, one player might be amazing on their own or they might have all these skills or all this or all that. But when you put them in a midfield or in a forward line, with the other players you're selecting, how are they impacting them? Because we saw, we saw multiple times this year, two players in particular, I think, once they were moved out of that area or weren't selected or off the field due to injury, the rest of that playing line excelled and Melbourne improved. So it's not just about that one player being good at something. It's about how they can play as a team. And I think Melbourne's inability to focus on a team game before a, a, a one person, your, yourself, that is their biggest issue that they need to fix. And I think a few trade outs this off season would immensely improve that, but I just can't see them doing it. Yeah, unfortunately, structure is one of Melbourne's biggest on-field weaknesses. They seem to have a lack of it. Yeah. So inevitably they are forced into dropping guys who didn't have a good game and trying to replace them with guys that they think will bring something because they're trapped in a position where, unlike Richmond, you can't rely on just anybody to play a role. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't really have a structure that allows role players. They they need – like that's why Harley Bennell was so uh, – sorry, called for by the fans to play because we needed a guy who could use the ball well. And Simon Goodwin said, our structure isn't good. And he didn't say it so clearly, but he basically was saying, our structure is so poor at the moment that I can't have him in the team because we need every guy to be able to play hard defensively and make tackles and keep that up because I can't rely on our midfielders to defend well enough. So unfortunately, Harley missed out basically because he's in a team where the, there's no real ability for them all as a team 
to maintain a defensive structure. That's their biggest weakness. Our midfield yeah. is as bad as GWS this year, where they're tremendous players, but defensively our midfield was terrible. Yeah, I think there were some very clear moments this year that told us, and I've tweeted about this a lot, and I know that a lot of Melbourne fans, like diehard old-school Melbourne fans, hate this concept, but I think you've got to get Jack Viney out of there. If you're not willing to play him in a diff- in a place other than the midfield for the majority of the game, I just don't think he can be in the side because I think individually, yes, he has the talent, he's tough, he's this, he's that. But when he's in a midfield with Christian Petrarca, Clayton Oliver, you know, other guys get pushed out who play a better team game than what Jack Viney is able to do. And I think that constantly was an issue this year because clearly the Viney name is too strong at Melbourne for him not to be played smack bang in the midfield all the time and get that first priority. Whereas, you know, if you had James Harms into that midfield or you threw some young guys like Tom Sparrow into that midfield, they it's not all about them doing everything. It's about them providing the team something and the midfield automatically works better. And then Brayshaw found time in the midfield and was able to push forward and kick goals. So I think that is the biggest issue for me at Melbourne. And I just, unless he is traded, there's no improvement that's going to come from Melbourne. It reminds me a little bit of The Incredibles where Dash says, if everyone's special, then no one is. No one's special, yeah. So if your entire midfield is special players, yeah. well, they're not all going to get the ball. Yeah. And so, that's the thing. Not everyone can get the ball. You need guys that are going to defend. Tom Sparrow did that. James Harms does that. Clayton Oliver and Christian Petrarca, they're ball winners. So is Jack Viney. Jack Viney wants to do everything himself. And yeah, you think- see that when he gets the ball is he tries to break four tackles before he's willing to dispose of it. And by then he's disposing it to a teammate that's a meter away from him, also under pressure. Whereas when Clayton Oliver, when Christian Petrarca win the ball, when um, Angus Brayshaw wins the ball, they win the ball and try to clear space. They're not trying to break tackles. They're trying to get out of the area. And that is the difference. And I think that's why Viney can't be the guy there. I still think he can be the guy there. But um, it's it's like we said before with a few other teams. You have to be prepared to give up something that you don't want to to get the thing that you actually are going to need. And we still need someone to be reliable in kicking goals. Yeah. And reliable in running the ball. Now, we got that in Ed Langdon. He averages 400 metres gained per game or something. And he's the only guy you can count on to be running and actually making an impact on the contest from 100 metres away. He can impact the contest from 100 metres away because he'll get there. We started to see it from Charlie Spargo and Trent Rivers as well this year. They just didn't have as many games. Yeah, We've got other blokes who are tremendous athletes like Tomlinson and Neil Bullen. They run their asses off, but they won't impact the contest from 100 metres away like Langdon will. They, they, They don't have that same sort of capacity to force themselves into that contest. Well, and from the ability, you would have just seen it all year that he got used so much. And what it did was it forced blokes like Bailey Fritch, who's one of the better marking targets, to take like 80% of his marks in the pocket on the wrong side of the ground because it was the only real avenue we had to get the ball to him was going through Langdon on the left side of the ground. 
And Bailey's a left footer, always leading to that pocket because he knows that's where he can get the ball. And it really had an impact on his ability to kick goals this year. And we saw that on his record as well. So if you can even that up a little bit with a bloke who could be like Langdon on the other side, you can open up the forward line as well. And it just seems like there's a lack of awareness for that. Mm. Um, I think there's a... Lose Viney either. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was just going to say on the Viney thing, I think there's a match made in heaven right now with what North Melbourne are trying to do, the kinds of players they need and what Melbourne needs. I think if you could work out some sort of deal that got Ben Brown to Melbourne and Viney to North Melbourne, that would be ideal for both clubs. I just don't think we're going to see it happen. Yeah, um, like what, giving up Viney for Ben Brown and a draft pick or something like that? Yeah, obviously it wouldn't be a direct trade, but neither neither player is contracted. Uh, ben Brown has been overtly told to look for his options. Melbourne yeah. need a, a forward that Sam Wiedemann can be a foil off until um, Luke Jackson has developed a little bit more. Um, it just seems like such an obvious answer to a lot of questions at both clubs. Yeah. Um, but I just don't yeah. think it's going to happen. I, I agree that Ben Brown's someone that Melbourne should be and probably are like trying to uh, find uh, a way to get him in and then considering that what it would do and, and how to make it happen. But, um, I mean, if I'm Geelong, I would be more interested in Ben Brown than Jack Viney. Yeah, like, it seems Long wild Pitchfield, to me that Geelong are looking Pitchfield at They have players in abundance and they've got that stuff. You know, I don't think Jack Viney... You, why'd you go out of your way to get Jack Steven? Oh, he's yeah, not working out. We'll fuck him off and we'll go after another big-name player. What, what, did, what are Geelong doing? Any, any, every can. player puts their hand up and says, I want to go to Geelong. Now, Tom Hawkins is out of contract and he's not going to be around forever. It's not like he's going to sign a four-year deal. Radigalee is good, but he's predominantly a ruckman, and I think he's pretty good at that. So why, really, shouldn't you be looking at Ben Brown rather than Viney? Remember when Gillan McLaughlin said about the Swans, well, you can't have everyone because they got Tippett and Buddy, and now Geelong have got, like, Geelong and Richmond have got nearly every, um, like, free yeah, agent and big name. Yeah, and yeah. no one has said a word about that. Anyway, we, we've talked about Melbourne, I think, long enough. Let's move well, on I was to just North Melbourne. Say, like, yep. I, I don't necessarily want to lose Viney either, but if losing Viney and getting a proper outside winger or a forward that kicks goals on the reg, I mean, it's not the biggest loss. Because otherwise, in a couple of years, Brayshaw is going to be the one that's gone. Yeah, and that's a bigger loss, I think, to Melbourne. Because they'll be searching for trade value and they say, well, we're going to have to give up someone who's worth it. And unfortunately, I mean, if they sign Viney to another like long-term deal, they're going to turn around and say, well, it's probably Brayshaw or something because they're not going to want to lose Clary or Petrarca. So mm. it might as well be Viney now, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. It's it's too clear an option for them now. to. There's not also a lot of guys who haven't signed on yet. Like yeah, Nick Hammond want, and Fargo. Yeah, but I so think this weird. is to do with list management stuff because, again, at this stage, we don't know what the list size is going to be next year. So I think those are decisions that have to be made after they know what next year looks like. Yeah, and it's going to be really sort of uncomfortable. I mean, I'm already looking at some of the names on the list being, I think, Toby Bedford, Mitch Hannon, Bailey Fritch just signed, actually. Send um, Mitch Hannon to Sydney. 
Well, funny you should say that because Braden Pruce is apparently going going to leave. It's just a matter of who he's leaving to. So, so a challenge to Sydney. Hibbert hasn't signed. Marty Hoare hasn't signed, who I don't want to lose. Hunt hasn't signed. Uh, James Jordan, I suspect he will. He hasn't played a game yet, but there's a lot of talk about him. Um, Lockhart hasn't signed. We haven't decided if we're going to sign Mitch Brown again. So it's going to be so <laughs> tense and confusing. But if all of those guys haven't signed, Viney, Viney might not uh, be on the move. There's definitely a few blokes that are going to be on the move. There's got to be all. I, I, I wouldn't think that Mitch Hannon is worth delisting and not getting picked up. Send him to Sydney. I have a feeling Take that Aiden Brand off our hands, and I think he'd be a good fit at Sydney. He would be a great fit at Sydney. I so agree. Send us Matthew Ling, and you can have Mitch Hannon. You can have Caden Brand. Um, let's move on to the Kangaroos. We're, we're two teams away from finishing this up. This was meant to be fast, but we've been going for 90 minutes already. How do you um, review 10 teams quickly? By me moving you on constantly. Um, North Melbourne finished 17th on the ladder. Um, do you have a highlight of North Melbourne? No. No. I have Josh Walker. Um, at his third club, I'm not sure many people anticipated him having such a good season, such a consistent season. Um, he pr- proved to be a really versatile option for Reese Shaw, and I think he was the most reliable player for their whole season, really, in what was an awful, awful season for them. Um, what about a low light from you? Um, their list. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I wrote. Um, yeah. Um, and then, no, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Their list. It's bad, right? Yeah. And like, you know, they've been in a, they've been stuck in no man's land for a long time. So it, it's probably better that they bottom out a little bit, learn something about themselves. Um, the only problem is there's been so much talk for a long time that they're not in a great position financially. So yeah. it's bottoming out. Could on one hand, it seems like a way for them to bounce, and on the other hand, it seems like a way for them to die. Well, um, I just want to, on the financial part, just note the fact that Richmond, who claim to be the biggest club and have 100,000 members and this and that, can't afford to um, hold a VFLW side next year, whereas North Melbourne, who are often quoted as being the poorest club in the competition can still afford a VFLW side next year. So priorities are where you choose to put them. That's all I'm going to say. Um, For me, their list, I think there wasn't, I'm not sure that there was a less exciting list in the competition this year than North Melbourne's. Um, And I think their 11 D listings, the moment their season ended suggested they realized it just a bit too late. But at least it looks like they're, Getting started on rebuild. Yeah, exactly. They're getting started straight away. Correct. Um, what do you think they need to do to improve? Um, they can't really turn around now and go after coaches. They sort of did that and they lost a bunch of them because of the whole COVID exacerbating that situation. They're going to have to focus. Well, they got John Blakey, though. They've taken John Blakey. They did. You're joking. They took John Blakey. He's got Blakey. Okay, interesting. No. Um, yeah, that's fine. But, I mean, how many other guys did they lose? 
or Rawlings, Minson, and two others. All right, Sydney are going to take Rawlings now. <laughs> I well, like, Melbourne look, I should have had Rawlings. Melbourne should have. Oh, yeah. He'll be around somewhere next year when, if if anyone can afford to start hiring coaches again, he'll be around somewhere. He's valuable. I, um, I um, so, in terms of improvement, they can't be stuck on the bottom of the ladder for too long because if they go, if they think we we'll go to the draft and then next year they go, good, we'll go to the draft. After a while, you're going to the draft and nothing's really happening. So, um, they can't keep fucking sorry they can't keep stuffing around with throwing millions of dollars at one big name player in an effort to try and make that turn their performances around all right if you have that much room in the cap you need to go after like multiple guys on reasonable deals and they have to just be like reasonable Throwing millions of dollars at Josh Kelly was not enough for him to go there. Throwing millions of dollars at Jordan Dugowie wasn't enough. Throwing millions oh, of dollars. I forgot about that. Yeah, throwing millions of dollars at Dustin Martin, at Andrew Gaff. It wasn't good enough. So they did it with Jared Pollock, and now the new coach doesn't even like him in the team. They have to sort that out. Pollock would be good for Melbourne. They have to sort that shit out. And then turning around and saying that we don't want Ben Brown when he's the only big forward you've got that kicks goals, like kicks over 50 goals a year, let's say, over the course of his career, probably over 50 a year. That was weird. <laughs> so they're trying to clean out for some reason. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I've written. I wrote chuck it in and start again. So North, I think, are looking like Adelaide did 12 months ago where it was like you've got to just scrap a whole bunch of stuff and <laughs> – begin from scratch as much as you possibly can. And that's what it seems like they're doing by telling these players to explore their options. Higgins as well is looking like he might move on. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. I I rate Goldstein so highly. I I don't think they would want to lose him, but they're going to have to target a Ruckman as well, surely. Well, someone needs to come in underneath him, yeah. Yeah. But um, I think that they're on the right track now, but it is going to get worse before it gets better for them. Yeah, I yeah I think so. I yeah. think they're probably going to end up properly bottoming out before they are able to recover. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. But that Reshaw needs to be willing to do that if it's going to work for them. I suspect he probably is. Mm. That might even be part of the reason why it was so bad this year because they they were they sort of accepted that that was a possibility before everything kicked off. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's. But they also they also need to be prepared as a whole to stick with him through that because you can't very well bottom out like this and then just, nah, no good, we'll get someone else and expect that it'll be fine. Well, with how long they persisted with Brad Scott, if they were to get rid of Reshaw after two years, that Doesn't was make a lot really of sense. wrong. Okay, let's finish this up talking about the Swans who finished 16th. Um, what's a highlight from you? Uh, no matter how badly it looks like it's going for the Swans, you can guarantee that they play with heart. And I love that. I love that. I don't think it looked bad for them at all this year. It looked pretty bad. The only teams you were better (laughs) than Adelaide and North Melbourne, Jim. Um, for me, I think the new game plan is starting to pay off. So, they this is the game style they've tried to implement over the last couple of years, and you can see. Um, 
the kinds of players they're drafting and selecting are very important to that new game style. In a number of games this year, I think the Swans have slowly been um, trying to implement that game style. It really started to shine through and it's the development of those young players really taking charge that led to that happening. So I'm really impressed with the young guys actually knowing the game plan, being able to follow direction. I think that was a really good thing this year. What about a low light? Uh, Probably the amount of games missed from your most uh, beloved players. Yeah, injuries were the low light. That always sucks, yeah. But yeah. on the off, on the other hand, I think it it did give opportunity for the young guys to get out there and take some responsibility. And fans and the league actually saw an element of what happens behind the scenes at Sydney with all those younger guys that they had been picking. Mm. You debuted quite a few guys, I think, which was a good sign. But yeah, six, I want to say six or seven. Yeah, and that, that might have actually been one of the highlights is is seeing the next gen. But, yeah, definitely missing Kennedy for that long, missing Heaney for that long. You know, Naismith's still out. That all sucks pretty hardcore, so. Rampy, buddy. Yeah. And Ronk. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, at, at, with a couple of rounds to go, Sydney had 10 players ruled out for the remainder of the season. George Hewitt. Um, yeah. Like guys yeah. that would be first 22 picked every single week ruled out for the remainder of the season. So, yeah. And I don't um, doubt that all absolutely contributed to being like that low. Yeah. So. Um, the, the Swans were the second most impacted side by injuries in 2020. North Melbourne were the only team more impacted by injury than the Swans. Um, and because of that, they were regularly the youngest side fielded in a round. So, I think you can turn the low light of injuries into the positive, which is what you kind of were touching on is, yeah. yes, while the injuries sucked, um, we we learned a lot about the Swans. We, we got to get games into players that otherwise would not have got games. Um, and we set ourselves up, and I'm talking about as if I'm part of the club, the Swans set themselves up for a really good tilt next year, I think. Um, what do you think they need to improve? Um, you're good at debuting guys. You're good at giving guys the confidence to take their game on. You need to sort out what the hell you're doing with your ruck situation. And you need to shit or get off the pot with Buddy. Oh, Buddy is there until his contract is done. There's no question. No, no, that, but it, it might be time to make a decision based on, are you actually going to play again? Is it worth you just making the switch to football department? I think with with the way next year is going to be in terms of financials at clubs, limited cap, uh, lower list sizes, smaller list sizes, I think the Burgoyne thing is going to happen with Buddy as well where he stays around because you need – someone that can double as a coach, which is what Buddy did this year. Like the fact that Buddy had a newborn baby at home, knew that he wasn't going to play for the rest of the season and still went into the hubs with them and traveled with them to be a coach for them. That is a massive deal. So him continuing that next year, whether he gets on the field or not, is going to be important. I get that. And I, I think that that's absolutely what he can do when he's not playing football. What I mean is, 
is it time for him to just decide I won't be getting on the park, so take me off the list and just put me in the football department, put me on the panel? I can give him another year of potential playing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is Michael Knoll injured? He was injured this year, yeah. He had a PCL, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was unfortunately delisted just because of the size of getting smaller. Essendon Um, were really keen on him and Sydney pipped him at the post. He still couldn't get on the park. And for all the luck stocks, the only guy you had was Sinclair. And Hayden McLean, who I love so much. Okay. Hayden McLean's ability to go forward and impact a game. Oh, keep him. Please keep Hayden McLean. Are you sure that Braden Proust isn't interested or Sydney's not interested in Braden Proust? Apparently Sydney's interested in Tom Hickey. Yeah. Well, who would you (laughs) rather have? Hickey's good, but... Uh, I think Hickey can play probably in tandem with Sinclair better than Bruce could. But, you know, this is trade speculation. Um, I I think the thing that Sydney need to improve next year, which I I do believe that they can and they showed signs of it, um, ability, similar to Carlton, ability to play four full quarters without you know, dropping away drastically. So we saw them score heavily in a first quarter this year only to lose a game and, and things like that. So I think that is the thing that if Sydney's going to rise up the ladder, that's the thing that needs to change for sure. Shall we wrap this one up now, do you think? Yeah, might as well. Yeah, it's been it's been long enough. Um, this has been the play on review of the AFLM non-finalists in 2020. Um, I've been Gemma Bastiani. You have been? Alexander. Bastiani. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, that's all right. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Uh, I'm very jealous of your glasses. I say that every time I see these ones. I want them really badly. Um, but other than that, where can people find you if they want to ask you questions? They can't. They can't. They can direct all the questions to you and you'll let me know. So you can I, don't, find me. I don't Twitter and I don't really Facebook that much. So best avenue is probably you, especially <laughs> considering the only questions they're going to ask me is about this football discussion anyway. So so if you have any questions for Alexander, uh, you can tweet them at Play on Radio Melb and I will pass them on to him. I might even get him to do a takeover to answer questions if you need. Uh, uh-huh. I You can find me on Twitter at GL Bastiani. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot about AFLW over the next couple of weeks, so definitely tune in for that because the AFLW season next year is going to be insane. Uh, so I'm really excited about it. Uh, otherwise, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back. Well, I don't know if Alexander will be back with me. It depends if he wants to, but I will at least be back with a finalist review after the AFLM finals are done. But otherwise, um, you know, Find us on Twitter. See ya. See ya.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.